Hello and welcome to another episode of Arcade Podcast. This is your host, Deadbeat Hero, and we are here with a very, very special episode. Um, our guest today is artist Pablo Allison. He was here in Vienna promoting his new book, The Light of the Beast. can be picked up online or you can pick it up from him directly. All the links are in the description below. You definitely want to check it out. It's a very interesting book documenting the migration route through Mexico, where he spent seven years documenting this. Um, very interesting book, and it's a super, super interesting conversation. Um, I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. And afterwards, be sure to check out the links below where you can buy the book and check it out and support this. Without further ado, I'll let you guys get right into it. Please welcome our guest today, Pablo Allison. Tito Puente, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here there are a lot of people uh, reference Tito to... Um, the dictator, yeah? dictator, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, of course, that's what my parents named me after. Uh, uh-huh, yeah, because they, they, they supported him, of course, <laughs> exactly. without them knowing that there's like, you know, salsa. Tito Puente was a salsa... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah uh, salsa merengue. Merengue, uh-huh. Yeah, something like this. Yeah. It was on the same caliber as, um, as uh, what's his name? Most famous guy from Puerto Rico. Uh, Ricky Martin? No. no way, man. Um, uh, shit. Or am I confusing him? Man, no, I'm not. Uh, Tito Puente and um, the other guy. Oh, shit. He was, he was really famous in the 80s. Like, he was the equivalent 70s, maybe 60s, 70s, mm-hmm, 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, what's his name? Uh, oh, I had him in my head just now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll think he of it later. You cannot not remember him. I know his name when you say it, but I'm trying it's, to... Um, I can start guessing. I'm not sure. Ah, shit. I need to remember <laughs> yeah, him yeah. now. <laughs> Tito Puente and the other guy who's <laughs> fucking famous, Puerto Rican from New York, made a fortune. He's a legend. Same caliber as, um, you know, I don't know. Like he's, He was a famous celebrity of the time. Um... It has to do with, um, you know, migration, especially coming from Mexico to the U.S. and these kind of um, migration routes. Was I really, you only hear about it in the news, but you don't really get to hear too much about it. Like um, the real, I guess, the, the real stories of the people. And, uh, and this is basically what the book is kind of focusing on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thank you very much for inviting me, actually, and for coming to the to the talk slash exhibition. Yeah. Uh, more, actually, it wasn't even a talk; it was a book presentation. Yeah, yeah. We did the talk two days before. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, jumping into the topic of the book, the um, there's two things that are interesting. Well, first of all, the book is about um, the migrant route through Mexico, mm-hmm. but it's about migrants coming from Central America specifically. Yeah. So the work uh, goes from 2017 up until 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, it's documentation from all those years. Okay. Um, and it's about mainly El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua mm-hmm. migrants. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other migrants in the book, but um, that, that's, those are the four nationalities that, the, the, that comprise this sort of story. Um, you know, on 
with the the hope of reaching the United States. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's interesting, and I've heard that a lot, mm -hmm. is that uh, not that I don't want to give myself credit, but it, it, it's really interesting that there's so much information out there, yet still people have mentioned, man, there's, there's no information. I'm so glad that this work is out because either I'm too soaked into this topic mm -hmm. and I, I lose track of what's out there or not. Yeah. But literally nowadays there's a sea of information on any topic you want mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to before. Maybe what makes a difference is that it's all sort of incorporated into one book, in a book in this yeah. case, in a story that can be told with maybe... Uh, humanity uh, behind it and mm -hmm. empathy as opposed to how the media tries to portray the story yeah. in a more like numbers way exactly yeah and I think that's with any topic right I mean if you really want to be into it you have to search through the right channels and then you'll see it all the time it'll pop up um, you can follow it that way pretty easily but through the mainstream media where you consume most of all of the topics it's just one little part of a, a big whole of what's happening in the world and um, I think it's it's really important to highlight stuff like that, you know. It's and I, that's why I find it really interesting. And so, for twenty seventeen to twenty twenty two, is documentation. How did this? Uh, like, do you want to quickly explain like how how this came about, or like, or you could it doesn't have to be quickly. You could do it and you could talk about it all you want, but uh, I find it super interesting. So, well, um, the I, I explained this to you uh, and your wife yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, which is that the. The book wasn't intended to be a project or a book in mm -hmm. the beginning. The, the, the whole thing, the whole idea of doing a, a travel on the train, which is La Bestia, the beast, yeah. uh, known as how it's known to migrants, okay. um, was to do a journey of introspection. I know that might sound a little bit hippie and stuff, but it was really some, it was a time in my life that was... There was a lot of questions. I wasn't living in Mexico. I was living abroad. Mm -hmm. So I came back to Mexico to re, you know, encounter myself with my roots and stuff. Yeah. Uh, or my other roots. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to, you know, sort of take, do a journey that would take me into understanding myself a bit more and stuff. And also knowing that this was a train that migrants uh you know, traditionally, historically used yeah. to try to get to the United States or the border with the United States helps them to get there. And so I was um, planning for, for this for a while, um, actually longer than I usually describe it, more than six months, mm -hmm. over a year, just, just having this bug in my head of like, I want to do this journey, I want to do this journey, but without the intention at all of doing uh, documentation of the journey of, mm -hmm. of, of migrants, stuff had already been out there. So yeah. I wasn't wanting to repeat what yeah. I'd already seen. And actually, I believe that at the time when I was planning for this, there was hardly any mention in the media about migration. I'm talking about 2014, 15. Yeah. Um, you know, the first sort of glimpses of this in the media were not to say that it wasn't reported it was reported but it wasn't reported with the same intensity as it is reported today mm -hmm. so anyway so i get to mexico and eventually after living there for a whole year no, six seven eight months approximately i get the chance to actually go to the south of mexico mm -hmm. um, to the state of chiapas knowing already that there's going to be a, a group of migrants attempting to get to the united states yeah. in what's called a migrant caravan Okay. So already with that in mind, 
when I get there, I just bump into this massive crowd of, of human beings yeah. with a dream, with, with one goal. Everyone with a story, but one goal, reach the United States. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, the, the, over the months or year or so, the idea of not just doing this for the sake of me trying to understand myself mm-hmm. was um, evident, but also trying to understand the story of many people that are trying to ultimately um, seek or understand and find prosperity, etc., which I encompass in one concept, which is love. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that that's the, the dream of all these individuals, of all of us, yeah, to try exactly. to find love and, and, uh, and secure a better life for, for us in the world, not just referencing this story that I've created, but that's the story of struggle of many people mm-hmm. in any continent in the history of humanity. Yeah. That's yeah, it's amazing. How how, uh, how difficult did you find it to to translate these these stories and these emotions into the book? And do you feel like you've like accomplished that, or uh, like how? It's really interesting to me how you can, because as artists, because you're also an artist, like how we translate our emotions into art to portray that. Like how were you able to do that into the book? Um. You know, it's a, that's a, I always say that's an interesting question, but I think all questions are interesting. <laughs> Even the ones that could sound a little bit like, um, let's use the word dumb, yeah. it's still interesting. Like someone, <laughs> just going off a little bit from what you asked me, yeah. someone once asked me, so why, why are all these migrants from Africa, why can't they just get a plane and get to Europe? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a very interesting question, yeah. especially... F- the, the person that asked that question mm-hmm. wasn't doing it to offend or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She just didn't know why people yeah, were taking these yeah. routes. Mm-hmm. And um, you, need to, you need to take these questions in the most serious of ways mm-hmm. to try to convey or under, make people understand why these things happen. Mm-hmm. But going back to your question, um, I think that at the beginning it was, it took me a little bit to, to sort of uh, soak myself into the story. But because I was it was very intense. The very beginning of it was very intense. Like mm-hmm. I had never as a photographer, if that's what I want to call myself, had immersed myself and been around like this human mass of people that are trying to, are struggling in life, you know, yeah. like I'd photographed, I'd done projects before, mm-hmm. but they were never of like the intensity of, mm-hmm. of, of this in 2018 because mm-hmm. I started my work in 2017 yeah. but actually the, the, the hardest documentation started in 2018 mm-hmm. so I think that very quickly I was able to like you know feel the, the pain that people were or at least trying to feel a little bit of that yeah always making a distinction between me and the people that are actually feeling the consequences of poverty and violence, mm-hmm. just trying to be empathetic. So that was very, very, uh, that process uh, led me. And actually, the 2018, 19, and 20 were the best sort of years for the documentation. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I, I don't know if I would be able to photograph in the same way that I photographed back then, because okay. I feel d- things very differently. I see. Uh, there's, less, there's less intensity. I, you know, not that I'm, I've got uh, less humanized with the mm-hmm. story, but you become so, um, the story can be, not that I normalize it because it's still super sad to see mm-hmm. what's happening, mm-hmm. but 
I got used to, in a way, yeah. the, the, the dynamics behind the migration through mm-hmm. Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've continued to do this. Like yeah. I still, this year, I've been doing some journeys and I reminded myself of how difficult it is to cross through Mexico via train or via, you know, motorways, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was a challenge. Now my challenge is that I don't like to, this last journey, Sticking the camera out and pointing it in the direction of people is confronts me, and this is where yeah. I uh, challenge my um, description as a photographer or mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Like this guilt that surrounds me sometimes, yeah, makes it very difficult for me to to actually use my camera all the time or not. Yeah, it's more about just the versus uh, just taking in the moment and, and and the feeling of of everything, and then when you. Once you pull out your camera, it feels like you're almost taking advantage of that moment in a way, or just like you're, it's uh, not as genuine anymore, or, or is that what you mean? Yeah. I think so. I, I, that's a good uh, point you make. I think that it's this tremendous guilt. I mean, it's not my fault at all that yeah, this yeah. situation occurs in the world, mm-hmm. but um, it is like, it, it, you know, once I actually, I, I, was, uh, I went with a photographer, a nice guy actually, he's a... He's actually exiled now in uh, Portugal because his uh, prob- they had tremendous problems with his family did, and uh, he's now in, in in Portugal. And I went with him to photograph, or to no, not to photograph. I brought, I don't think I brought my camera with me. He did. He was a, he's a photojournalist actually, and we went to a catch-out spot in the outskirts of Mexico City. In in fact, it's not Mexico City anymore. It's the Estado de Mexico, which is a state called the state of Mexico mm-hmm. where migrants used to stop to wait for the train okay. for many, many years. Now the situation has changed a lot there. And it just sort of felt when we got there, there was a few migrants that he was just like, you know, sort of like got his camera out and started pointing at people and photographing. And I just felt so not right about yeah, that. Yeah. I was just chatting to people. We perhaps I think we bought some food and stuff and we hung out there for a little bit. And he just tried to like, it was actually him and a girl, both photographers, uh, working for media and stuff. And they were like, yeah. and I was like, this is exactly what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this mm-hmm. is, th- 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 there is there's a certain moral and ethos that, that I've learned to, to, to use to operate under that it's not about, you know, that, that's the moment. It could be the best photograph, but yeah. if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just to make a point, I'm not saying that is what works for me and what yeah, makes me feel exactly, good. Yeah. If that's what makes them feel good and mm-hmm. they know that then they're doing it they're for a good reason, yeah. mm-hmm. good, but yeah. I wouldn't do it like that. Yeah, I think it's 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 not it's it, it's also about you and the feeling that you feel, and you can if you're not feeling comfortable with it, then there's no mm-hmm. it's not going to be better just by ta- forcing yourself to do it because you feel like you have to do it to capture that moment. Yeah, that's that's a difficult situation. I can understand that. And, and you know, it's um, not to ha- not to offend animals, but mm-hmm. you're not photographing animals in yeah. the zoo. You're photographing people. So the exactly. integrity. It's like, you know, sometimes it's important to put ourselves in, in, in other people's shoes. And, you know, would you or me, would we both like that someone just comes up to us immediately and takes our photograph and takes our vulnerability, betrays yeah. our vulnerability mm-hmm. in that moment? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think we would. Yeah, and I've actually exactly. had people take pictures of me on the metro in Mexico mm-hmm. and I've got really pissed off. And then I'm like, well, you know, I've done it before, yeah. so I'm just going to let it go. But it's... Uh, 
yeah, you have to be considerate. Yeah. Then the other question comes in where, well, if you're too considerate, are you going to be able to take that important image yeah. that conveys a message to the rest? That's another. That's way. the thing. Yeah, if you're, it's, it's not just about you. It's also about the people who see that image and they're touched by that image. But that process of taking that image, maybe you didn't feel comfortable taking it, but you knew it was an important image to take. Yeah, that's that's the interesting aspect of it for sure. Because you, you have some really great photographs in the book. I kind of flipped through it last night when we got home, and it's just uh, you could really feel the 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 emotion, the the tension, the the struggle, the hope in the photos, and it's really it takes a lot. To, I mean, I'm not a photographer. I, I really I. Uh, I appreciate the, the art of photography because it's not so easy to, to just take a photo and, and really convey something in a photo that's there, but um, really, really great stuff in there, I could say. I think that it's easy to take one picture, like mm -hmm. one good or two or three good pictures, mm -hmm. but to take a lot of good pictures is what makes the difference between what a photographer mm -hmm. it does and mm -hmm. what a person carrying a camera, whether it's a phone camera or a, a proper camera, whatever camera it is, because you can take good pictures with any sort of device that captures um, a moment of reality. Mm. But um, it takes training and uh, talent to yeah. do that. And this is when, like, you know, I also question myself as to whether I have an ability to be a photographer at all times, mm -hmm. or if I only am a photographer as part of the, the broader language that I use, to, to talk about mainly migration, which is what I talk about in, in other forms of, of my work. Yeah. And even when I say this, I don't mean like I do it myself sometimes. Those languages uh, incorporate um, uh, uh, like poetry or writing, which is not my stuff, but I invite other people to contribute to this broader language that nice. talks about migration. Mm -hmm. And that would, in the book, you have a lot of handwritten notes. Are these from from contributors to the book? Yeah. So these, um, all of them, well, with the exception of a few of them, are um, like so. Some of them are um, the narration of emotions or feelings of people that I've encountered along the way who I've never actually seen again. Mm -hmm. I bring a notepad or I've brought a notepad in the past and I've asked people to write something down and then I have incorporated it in my work. But there are also poems by a friend of mine who um, from Guatemala who lives in Mexico and he ha was a migrant, uh, migrated to the United States returned to Guatemala, returned to the United States and then get, got detained and was, uh, you know, fighting his case for asylum in the States for a year and three months. So he, I actually have contributed, he's, we, we have collaborated uh, mm -hmm. on a number of projects. Of course, it's a funny thing with, with him actually because when I've offered him pay, which is all the time, mm -hmm. he doesn't want it. He feels actually, his, I think his estimation or his value of money is different based on maybe his culture and the way he understands that than of someone who appreciates that if I'm inviting you to do something and yeah. I pay you, I'm giving you respect. Yeah. And yeah. I've actually offered him and he feels really offended when I've paid him some cash. Yeah. You know, yeah. ultimately he has taken it because I've convinced him. Yeah, yeah. But I think he feels like, oh, so so this is a deal now. You mm -hmm. want to buy my stuff. Yeah. I don't like that. I got you, yeah. But yeah. he needs money as I need money and anyone. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. But with him, you know, I've, I've helped him. Jimmy is another person that's in the book 
who I've also I met in prison in in the United States, mm-hmm. and um, we um, he's now living in the United States again, and uh, I've invited him and I've contributed economically to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, David is another friend of mine. All these guys are guys I met along the way, okay. um, who I've um, and I say guys I don't. I don't use the definition of migrants yeah. because they're, they're my friends and migrants is a broad term that yeah. can dehumanize at the same time, but can categorize um, anyway. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there are collaborations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my friends, others, uh, people I've unfortunately stopped talking to. Yeah. But that's part of the language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, you know, the broader the language, the paintings, the photographs, the texts whether it's poems or, you know, just writings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe I'm missing a few other things, but yes. It all contributes to the, to the story of the book, the narrative of, of what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So you spoke uh, briefly about, the, about prison. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Like what, what led you to, like what happened there? Mm. So it's a long story, but um, I'll try to uh, narrow it down to... A few words. So basically, I was I planned the journey um, in 2019. Um, that the idea was to. So basically, I'm just to go back a little bit. While I've been photographing the light of the beast, I've mm-hmm. also photographed another project, which was the reason why I jumped on the train in the first place, or one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. The visual reason, yeah. which is to photograph the landscape from the train. Okay. The landscape in Mexico initially. So. Um, I and the, the, that project's called the landscape of the beast. Mm-hmm. So there's the light of the beast, okay. which is the book mm-hmm. and the people and the stories of migration. And the landscape of the beast is a metaphor to describe the the journeys of migrants, but mm-hmm. through the landscape. That's kind of like the way I translate it. I see. Um, so I plan a trip, and I went with two other friends, uh, Canadian friends, and we journeyed across Mexico um, to to. To, you know, to keep photographing the story of migration, but mm-hmm. also to photograph the landscape. When we got to, after, was it like 11 or 12 days? I can't recall. We eventually uh, arrived on the border with the United States and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, we entered the United States via, you know, the port of entry with our uh, permission to enter. And then we continued all the whole journey. The, 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 the plan of that journey was to go from Mexico City all the way to Halifax in, Can- in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, going down the Pacific, um, then into the United States Pacific side, and then cross from Va- Vancouver all the way to the to the East Coast, and uh, and with with the intention of traveling on the trains, no mm-hmm. other mode of transport, and photographing, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got to the United States, and we made our way eventually to um, to California, and then I detached from them. They they ended up in Canada. I was still in the States. And um, I eventually, you know, carried on the journey, got on the train again. And then I landed in um, um, Portland. And then I took a bus, actually, from Portland to Seattle. Mm-hmm. When I got to Seattle, I eventually find, uh, found that, that I needed to take another bus. So I yeah. took a bus all the way to the border between Canada and the United States. And long story short, I get, you know, my passport gets seen. The... Canadian authorities check that something is not right to them, mm-hmm. and then they transfer me to another um, border officer, okay. Canadian border officer. 
And then I held there for a bit, then transferred to uh, CBP officers from the United States. Um, not giving too much detail because, you know, it's something that I've talked about so much, but yeah. just don't want to bore, bore you with it. <laughs> Get transferred to the CBP officers. They look at my passport. They question me a little bit. Then they uh, tell me something that an irregularity that they see in the passport. And I tell them, yes, of course, you don't have a st- I don't have a stamp of entry. Yeah. Because the Border Patrol officer in Mexicali, Calexico, mm-hmm. didn't stamp my passport. Yeah. And I knew that at the be- As soon as I got into the States, I was like, why don't I have a stamp on my passport? Oh, shit. Um, then they tried to explain me something, but I'm so fixed in my head with yeah. why I don't have a stamp. Yeah. That no other thing enters my head, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm all, already like kind of shocked as to why I'm there. Yeah. You know, bearing in mind that it didn't didn't do anything wrong, yeah. or at least they didn't see me doing anything wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I was held there for about four hours, and then eventually they um, handcuffed me and leg cuffed me, and they put me in a cell. And I thought at that point I'm fucked. Like I'm getting not nowhere but somewhere not good for me. Yeah. And this is on the border still. They actually did question me and they asked me if I'd have ever been to prison before. Okay. And they made me. Um, what do you call it swear under oath okay and of course you know like if you lie mm-hmm. they already they have me on the screen yeah, yeah they yeah. know that i've been to prison yeah, in england yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's no point in me lying about it because then it becomes a federal offense or something yeah yeah, yeah. so um i'm like does that even matter like mm-hmm. i've never been to prison in the U- in the united states and yeah. they go I'm, I'm asking you a question yeah and i was like i've been to prison before this was like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and um and they're like you, you know that just confirming mm-hmm. that is a tick to like yeah. fuck this guy he's not yeah. coming into the states yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a threat to us so um and so eventually they handcuffed me then some some like cbp or homeland security officers I'm at that point, it's like four hours in, in the detentions in the, in the facility on the border, um, the you know, immigration mm-hmm. uh, office. I'm drained, I'm confused, I'm tired. I want this fucking, what seems to be a really horrible nightmare to end. Yeah. And, um, and I then get these guys into the cell and they escort me to a van and then um, they put me in the van you know, it's one of these vans that has like um, a block, like a, a partition. So yeah. when you get in, your mm-hmm. legs, you can't even fit. And I'm handcuffed legs and like, like I'm a fucking criminal. Yeah. yeah. Legs and hands. Um, and bear in mind that in 2019, that's when Trump led mm-hmm. all these mass deportations yeah. and these mass shootings took place also as a result of his incendiary language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's like mass shootings happening in like California, da da da, this and that. And then then another one in El Paso. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the one yeah. in El Paso. El, it was yeah. a it was a race um, um, shooting. Yeah, I remember that. One. Um, and so then. Um, where was I? So they put me in the van. Um, so I think their policy at the time was like zero tolerance. Yeah. Like anyone that's doing something that doesn't seem right and out. is an immigrant or a, an illegal person in the country, get, get him the fuck out. Yeah. And um, then we drive on the motorway for like three hours. No, no conversation between them and me. I was exhausted. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And then we finally get to a, like what is a fence with coiled... Uh, barbed Bar wire. wire yeah the doors open and i'm like where the fuck are we like this it was so surreal 
and um, I leave, I get out of them. They help me get out. And I'm like, where are we? Yeah. They go, this is a detention facility. And I'm like, yeah, but what is this? This is a nice detention facility. And I'm like, oh, right. At that point, it was clear to me that I was getting kicked out of the country. Yeah, yeah. And then they passed me on to the reception of the mm-hmm. lobby of the prison. They stuck me in what's called La Yelera. And the Yelera is like the... The, the holding cell, okay. but it's called Yelera because it's really cold uh. and you have no clothes on, and this is what the migrants call it. Oh, shit. And um, and then after that, they put me onto like new clothes, uh, like you know orange. Um, no, I was on the blue uh, prison clothes, mm. and then at that point, I was like, yeah, that's the end that's... of my stay in the states. But then finally, I realized after a day of reasoning, why am I here? What What did I do wrong? Mm. And I realized that I had entered the United States with my the same visa that I had entered the United States two and a half or three months pre, pre, uh, prior mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. So when I re-entered the United States in May, I'd been in the States in March, mm-hmm. they stamp a visa for three months. So when I re-entered March, I had like five days left on that visa. Oh, shit. And I didn't know that by re-entering by any port of entry, yeah. you needed another stamp Another stamp yeah, if you re- wanted to stay another three yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All this shit that happened mm-hmm. could have been resolved on the border with Canada by them telling me, look, you have, you have overstayed your visa. Mm-hmm. This is not a problem. And we know that you don't realize that, yeah. but we are going to let you we are going to give you two days yep. and you get the fuck out yeah. or we're going to book you a flight now yeah. you get the fuck out or they could have been a bit nicer and said here's a stamp there's another stamp <laughs> yeah. just don't do this again yeah, yeah. instead they went the expensive route and the repressive route yeah. which was of, co- of course that's the legal way you yeah. know I'm not like I am questioning it mm-hmm. but if you have a, a legal like procedure a mm-hmm. fixed legal procedure that's the way that then you operate yeah. but you could be a bit more less lenient yeah, uh, and and but they spent they spend thousands of dollars on every single immigrant that they or mm-hmm. illegal person that they detain in the mm-hmm. country. And they must have spent like justified expenses. Uh, I don't know a lot of cash on me because they even flew me back to El Paso. Really? Yeah, they, I was in detention for a whole month, almost a month, okay. and then eventually my my call was there to be returned to Mexico. They wanted to deport me to Britain, okay. but eventually they realized that I was actually Mexican as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they got confirmation from the consulate, which they brought in to okay. verify my identity, All right. and, sure. um, and then they, uh, after almost a month, they, together with 80 other, 80 plus other immigrants, in a long, long procedure of deportation through mm-hmm. the holding cell and every single step that takes ages. They put me on a bus and a prison mobile, mobile bus. They drove us all the way to a runway in the middle of nowhere, yeah. handcuffed legs and arms on the plane. Another, you know, this is another 80, 90 immigrants on the, tr- on the plane. Just, uh, just, this is, these are chartered planes yeah. just used for migrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a million yeah. dollar industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flown to Las Vegas, put some, uh, took some migrants off. Other migrants come on the plane and all the way to El Paso. That journey was so dehumanizing. Yeah. That was more, probably more dehumanizing in my feelings than even being in prison. Yeah. 
because it just felt like so wrong. And I've never been, I was never, I never experienced being handcuffed, legs and arms mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and hands on a plane. Wow. And it was a, it was a really, really like a bash in the face kind of experience. Yeah. And then the story could go on. I could give more detail, but that's what happened with my detention. Wow. And I, I, to conclude with this, I'm, I was in a way I was British in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So if they do this with me, yeah, like the vulnerability and um, the lack of respect yeah. towards people that they really don't give a fuck yeah. about and don't yeah, yeah. care. Mm -hmm is uh, far worse. And you exactly. can see this in a, in a series that was created uh, and um, broadcast on uh, Netflix called Immigration Nation. Mm -hmm. So really, I actually, it was released on my release from prison in the States. Yeah. It's 2019. It might still be on Netflix. It's a really good and detailed account of what happens with uh, immigrants in ICE detention. I think it's wow. like seven episodes and it's super intense. Wow. You can see the, the racism that occurs exists within the agency yeah action by officers of all ranks horrible yeah yeah, yeah. that's amazing that's insane but going living through that do you think that that kind of oh did that help you in it i mean it it, it op must have opened your eyes a little to get a little bit deeper into the whole subject of of like uh, what you ended up the book to uh what the, the book ended up being um it must have been a just such a um, a priceless experience that you had, even though it was hard. I mean, I'm sure that you maybe wish it never would have happened, but it, it must have, the, the value of that uh, experience uh, must have been super valuable to you for, for the book. I mean, not to say that, like, uh, that it's really good that it happened to you and, and, um, and that you meant for that to happen, but just that... Sometimes I feel like the universe kind of puts you in a way that you don't uh, expect it to be, and then you kind of um, you you live through it. And in the end, you know, it's shit when you're going through it. But in the end, when you come out of the other side of it, you're like, man, that experience really. I needed that, you know. That really opened up something inside of me that I didn't know that I needed, you know. It was actually uh, what you said is exactly what what I felt like, and it was a, it was at the time and it is an extension of the work i mm. never thought in my life that i would end up photographing or documenting registering the experiences that i had been listening to by migrants along the route mm -hmm. like countless experiences of detention people that were returned trying to return to the united states were telling me these stories of like going through the detention system mm -hmm. uh, in the states and one thing that was quite striking for me was when I remember one kid, I was walking the motorway with him and thousands of other people, or hundreds of other people, rather, um, between uh, Ciudad Hidalgo and Tapachula. Ciudad Hidalgo is the city that borders with uh, Guatemala in the southern part of the border. And we were heading to Tapachula, which is a city where that functions as a, as a bottleneck for uh, retention of migrants. Mm. And so, anyway, so we were we were there, and uh, we were walking the motorway, and he would tell me, "Yo, yeah, I've been to the states before. I've been to Washington. I've been." I can't remember exactly how he explained it, but he said to me, "What I do remember is he said, I've been to Washington. I've been to this city. I've been to Florida. I've been to that." And I was like, well, "How? Like, yeah, well, I, f I got flown for to. F I was detained, and I got flown to all these places." And I was like, "That doesn't make sense. Why yeah. would you?" Be, be flown to all these different states. Yeah, yeah. Detained. Like, wouldn't it make more sense 
in the eyes of like detention, yeah. the detention system, to just incarcerate you in one place and then bounce you back to your country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized, no, that was a situation. And that is a situation mm-hmm. that migrants get flown from Washington to California, from California to Florida. They get shifted between detention facility to detention facility. And eventually they get deported and it's a million dollar dollar industry because the contra- who's got the contracts, Yeah, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, um, these were like very fulfilling um, experiences for me to understand more in depth the story of this migration mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. The way, the, I mean, the, I don't call migration a crisis as such. I think migration is a natural phenomenon that occurs to migrants, but it is a crisis in the way that we have been seeing it and yeah. it's been developing. So these were, this was an arm, an extension to the work that I had already at that point been to be doing, uh, been doing for two years, mm-hmm. 2017, 18, and then 19 years, three, three years approximately. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I actually ended up producing a book um, based on, well, I did two books. Mm-hmm. I did one book, which is an account. It's a, it's a um, collaboration between me and my sister, okay. um, who's also a photographer. And we developed a, sto- a personal story on my experience and her experience from outside, my experience from within the prison um, uh, in the States. As, and it's called um, Moral Turpitude. Okay. And this is something I didn't explain to you before, but you, do you know what moral turpitude means? No, I don't. Yeah, no, one, no one knows what moral turpitude means. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe 1% of the people know. So basically it's like a, you are charged with moral turpitude okay. if the United States deems that you are a threat to the lifestyle of people in that country. Okay. So I was a threat, and and this is a, a, a like a term, a legal terminology that they use, mm-hmm. uh, or an, a legal offence that they use, to punish anyone. It's so open yeah. that you could have been taking a piss on the streets, mm-hmm. and then the judge uh, will determine that you were a moral ter- terpitude, okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. Wow. The, so you know, and this is how. They fuck so many migrants they up. They get away with it. Moral turpitude, wow. and it's uh, it's a it's uh, I think it's like a, a really, um, like, serious offence to mm-hmm. be a more more. If you have been convicted for moral turpitude, mm-hmm. I think you're. I don't know. Don't quote me, but I think I read it once. You cannot vote anymore. You okay. cannot do any many many things that other offences perhaps would not counsel you out from society from so moral turpitude was the name of the book and it was like in a format of a passport Mm -hmm. um and all the pages resemble the mexican and the british passports which was is these are my passports i see yeah yeah yeah. and this was not the story of the people or the experiences of people in in detention in the united states Subsequently, mm-hmm. last year, I produced this other book called The Detainee Handbook. Mm-hmm. And in The Detainee Handbook, it's not a story on me. It's mm-hmm. a story of the people that I was able to capture. And that's, that's where I detail the, the experiences. And they, they wrote stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, defined what freedom and migration means. There's a lot like there's a, a lot of collaboration between them. Actually, drawings is another way, another language I use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, sketches. Sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of like the story <laughs> and the, the experiences and what you said, mm-hmm. just to summarize. It did help me a lot. And I mm-hmm. and I also concur with you on the fact that um, 
Sometimes you cannot control your destiny. Yeah. But that the destiny, and that was a, that was a word that was very present in me in 2019, which is that destiny is something that sometimes it's inevitable that it will happen, mm-hmm. and and you need to accept it sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I accepted it, and it ended up being an extension to my work that yeah. fed me and made me understand a bit more the implications of the detention mm-hmm. of migrants and the huge million dollar business that it creates to a sector of the po- of people powerful people in the United States as well. Yeah, that's got to be so I mean horrible but also valuable um experience because you're not just watching the machine from the outside and getting the stories but you're in the machine suddenly mm-hmm. thrown into it it's got to be insane. How many books have you have you produced so far? Like how many have you published now? Um well on migration, on the migration series, um, I've produced the light of the well, sorry, um, moral turpitude, which is an indirect experience of migration, mm-hmm. but in detention in the United States. Um, then the actually no, let's go back. So, the light of the beast, mm-hmm. uh, first edition, then moral turpitude, the detainee handbook, and moral the light of the beast second edition. Mm-hmm. But before that, I. And 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 with between those books, I produce a newspaper called oh, okay. Migrantes Valientes, ah. and it happens whenever I have money. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm actually working on a new one with a, mm-hmm. uh, and this new issue, uh, all the other issues were either the broad the broad stories of migration around the world. So mm-hmm. I've um, in the first one it, it was only Central American migration, mm-hmm. and there were other thing other stories. The second one. The second Migrantes Valientes, Volume Two, had stories of migration in Libya or Libya to Europe. Had my stories of migration in Chile mm-hmm. uh, and with the Haitians, Mexico, um, uh, the MENA region or North America, specifically to Europe, and a few other things. And all people that I've uh, invited to collaborate on. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's I've done I've produced so far four but this new one coming up hopefully next year all the content is ready is going to be only a, a story of migration and culture between the united states and mexico oh, okay. so um there's a lot of chicano stories in it but there's mm-hmm. sto- a, a variety of stories yeah. of you know migration from or to mexico or the united states interesting and before that before these books and these series of migration publications I did produce another book called Operation Jurassic, mm-hmm. and it's a co-authored book between me and my sister again. Oh, okay. And it was on the experience of imprisonment in Britain. Oh, But wow. it steps outside of this, like, new series of, of works yeah. on migration. I understand. Well, wow. uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your background, because that's also interesting. So you were born in Mexico, is that correct? No, I was born in Manchester. Okay, you were born in, in Manchester. In the UK, yeah, okay. and then grew up in Mexico. Grew up in Mexico. From what ages were you uh, living in Mexico in the um, as a child? From the age of three years old to mm-hmm. um, uh, twenty, I think twenty. Yeah, and then I lived in in Britain from twenty years old up until thirty six. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Now, you know, pretty much I've split my life. Halfway in half of it in Mexico and half of it in the United in the United Kingdom. See, is, is who in your family is Mexican? Is your mother or father? My dad is English. My mom's Mexican. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. And how did they meet? 
they met in England. Okay. They met in England in the 80s, and um, my mum was there to do her studies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, then met my dad, and then they lived there for many years. Yeah. And then my mum no longer wanted to be in Britain. Um, she was sick and tired of the weather, and she had, like, back problems, so she was forced or wanted to return to Mexico, and then yeah. we followed suit. Oh, okay, great. Are your parents still alive? Yeah, oh. luckily. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think about your series or your, your, your books? Uh, <coughs> my parents have always been very supportive. Oh, that's great. And, that, I mean, one of the reasons I'm able to get away with what I do is mm-hmm. because, you know, I get the approval from my parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that if my parents were, like, from the very beginning opposed to, to risking my life and mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. I would have thought twice about it. But yeah. any decision I've made regarding this or other things, mm-hmm. they they trust it. So yeah. they are the main engine that allows me to do all the stuff I do. I see. Yeah, and yeah. there's other, always other people involved in the production of stuff that you do. Anyone that, no matter what you do, and you know, there's all, all, always this... Um, sort of like you get friends or people that tell you I did it all by myself yeah yeah I think it's also it's very, always very important to recognize and give credit to the people that are behind the scenes of the your work the support system is very important I think I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for a solid support system of course yourself is the driving engine but that gas you don't have the gas and it's not gonna you're not gonna go anywhere. absolutely <laughs> yeah. spot on yeah and so you have a sister any other siblings no and your sister is older or younger she's a little bit older than me oh, she's okay. also a photographer oh great yeah. great i'm a photographer because of her oh i see she influenced you in that yeah way. she would great. encourage me when i was younger like between 14 15 16 she would see pictures i would take mm-hmm. documentation on the streets and she would like point out that I that my photographer actually no I was a bit older than that 15 16 and she would say oh these are good pictures mm-hmm. and they were just pictures of uh, stuff that I would take on the streets yeah. like, with no intention of it being anything photographic other than the subject matter that I was interested in yeah yeah and um, you know if that seed like just got into yeah. my head mm-hmm. and it just flow, it flowed and it flowed and it, it was just like, okay, well, I think I'm going to study photography because yeah. my sister says it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I got more and more interested in the, in the visual aspect of, of you know, the, the, the photographs. And then I studied uh, two diplomas uh, in photography in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then I did my degree. And, um, uh, yeah, I think that doing my degree was important because I was really bad at like I was very bad technically speaking mm-hmm. um, at the beginning and uh, I did I split my degree in two universities yeah the first one in London I learned nothing because I didn't want anything to go through my into my ear it always would be into my ear and escape through my other ear yeah. because all the stuff that they were teaching me was fine art photography. Okay. And I was like, I want to photograph the reality, yeah. the, the, the gritty side of life, the real shit that's going on. Yeah. Um, I want to be a photojournalist. And, you know, of course, like I think very differently now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You freeze a mo- like photography is you freeze a moment of reality and yeah. you create, um, <coughs> you know, it no, it, it's, it's a fragment of reality, but it's mm-hmm. not that you are, you could be very subjective with that image, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. but the production of that image, mm-hmm. because you're already including what you want to include and what's yeah. 
next to that that you didn't include, mm-hmm. where is it? You know, what's yeah. the broader story, the, the overall story of that behind that image? Sure. So, you know, all these things of like conceptual photography, photographers that I would be revising through the lessons, they would make no sense. It was mm-hmm. like, fuck this shit. Yeah. I want to photograph wanted. stuff like from people that I've been influenced, like, you know, mm. many photographers. Yeah, yeah. So I moved from that degree and I moved to Wales and I, I did my other two years in Wales. I was able to, got the opportunity to do another two years mm. in Wales uh, at a university that, um, that has a course that's like a renowned documentary photography course oh, founded nice. by a Magnum photographer actually uh, called David Hearn. So uh, they call him a Magnum photographer when they're like the, the no level? a magnum photographer is a is, is a magnum is an agency oh okay okay i got you yeah. okay i it's, thought it was like the highest ranking no, as no, a no. photographer not that I, and i'm all this i'm saying is like you know extra information because i'm not yeah. i don't i don't like follow the the institution's yeah. you know um Example. Yeah, yeah. You you got what you needed from that. And yeah. You um. You know, they there's a lot of really good photographers in that agency, but I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not attached to any of that yeah, in yeah. that world of photography. But I had there were good references for me at the time, and we. Funny enough, when I ended up in uh, this other university, it was the same course. Yeah. Fine art, conceptual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? I just escaped <laughs> that place to come to this place to try to te- get taught something different. And I'm yeah. be- looking at the same photographers, Jeff Wall, mm-hmm. Paul Graham, um, you know, many photographers mm-hmm. of that same sort of caliber. <clears throat> and I was like, but I uh, learned to appreciate and understand that photography. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, uh, it was a bit of a tough course some of the tutors were very tough mm-hmm. but i think i learned i learned what i liked and what i didn't like yeah, in yeah. a different in a, in a much more productive way and uh mm-hmm. you know i uh yeah it's just as important to learn what you don't like as opposed to what you like you know it's also mm-hmm. very important there's some water here if you would like i poured you some Thank you. A glass if you want, if you want some. yeah that's really that's really interesting and so I wanted to also ask you, I don't know how much, because I haven't had a chance to read the books, we just picked it up last night, but um, how, how, exactly, I don't know if it's in the book, that's why, but um, how is the, the, the process of, like, uh, of the migration? So um, starting in um, the city you were talking about before, and then where are the stops, and how, do, like, how does, is this train just for this, like, what else is the train used for, basically? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if you can go into that a little detail, because I found that really interesting. Um, so the story of the beast is um, so the uh, the beast is a is a series of trains. It's not one train. Okay. So it's a system of trains that um, commute or you know tra- uh, travel between Mexico, the United States, and Canada mm-hmm. for commerce purposes. I see. So these trains are not passenger trains. Mm-hmm. They are designed for carrying goods. Okay. For trade between the three countries, mm-hmm. um, as part of the uh, with NAFTA, now it's got a different name. You know the trade agreement between yeah, the three countries. Yeah. Trump changed the name and changed the rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, and um, so, ironically, although these trains are, you know, I, I don't know. I think the the concessions that exist in Mexico by uh, from companies 
are United, are United States-based companies. There's two train. I mean, I don't want to get too technical into this, but there's mm -hmm. one train called Ferromex, which has like the most of the lines uh, given by the uh, Mexican government, rented okay. by the Mexican government okay. to operate these trains. And then there's other, there's Kansas City, southern of Mexico, which is an American-based company mm -hmm. that operates in Mexico. And <clears throat> I, get, I guess 99% of these trains are lent by United States companies. I see. So mm -hmm. Union Pacific, mm -hmm. um, you name it. There's mm -hmm. so many different companies. With, and these trains come from the United States. They operate in Canada. And they share these trains among the free countries. Yeah. But what I want to say is that these it's ironic that these trains are produced or manufactured in the United States or on American trains mm -hmm. that transport goods. And they are also they facilitate, illegally facilitate, or by default facilitate, mm -hmm. the, the transportation of illegal people, illegal yeah. immigrants, yeah. Mm -hmm. stowaways mm -hmm. into the United States as slave labor. Uh, yeah. um, wow. And so... And this has been going, it's an ongoing story mm -hmm. that's been happening, I mean, I guess since the 80s in terms, in relation to or in connection to the migrant story of Latin Americans traveling to the United States. But also these trains have been used uh, by stowaways in the United States in what's known as the hobos. Okay. Who have, since the 60s or maybe the 50s, got, spans all the way back to maybe those decades, mm -hmm. And these people would jump on the train yeah. to travel to other states yeah, yeah. to find work. Yeah, you see that in, in old movies, for example. Yeah. Like you see the hobos and mm -hmm. sleeping in these little um, care, um, cabooses, I guess they, yeah. they call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, uh, you see them sleeping in hay and then getting off to the next town and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Just, a, just a, it's the same story. It's yeah. just um, slightly different context, yeah. Yeah, different course. region, but the train being used. Mm -hmm to jump on it illegally and get to another city and look for opportunities yeah. to, to success, mm -hmm. to, to, you know, prosperity and, yeah. and success. And this is the same, in that sense, it's the same thing that these people are doing, mm -hmm. traveling on these trains to get to the United mm -hmm. States, taking advantage of the trains. Yeah. Obviously, the, the, back to your question, the, so there's all these different routes in Mexico. Um, people have to decipher what trains, because it's not one, it's many stops along the way yeah. until they reach the section of the border they want to go to yeah. to then be able to get across into the United States mm -hmm. via many different ways um, and then make their way to either the Pacific or the central or the, sorry, the eastern or the western side of the United States, mm. depending on where they want to go. Um, and also in the, in the process confront all the dangers that uh, are involved when cruising through um, uh, Mexico, yeah, uh, yeah, both yeah. by the petty criminals, mm -hmm. the train itself being dangerous to travel on because mm -hmm. it's not a safe way to yeah. travel. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and the most important one uh, is the cartels that operate in different regions mm -hmm. and are always an obstacle yeah. for the migration of people towards the United States. Taking advantage of, of their their travels. Yeah, yeah it's got to be really tough. I can't even imagine. Um, I just wanted to touch base on a little bit on, on your career as an, as an artist. So, because I saw your painting that you did at the, at the Montana store, obviously very skilled um, uh, writer, mm. as you could say. Um, do you want to speak on that a little bit? Because I found that's also really interesting. Like, how, how did that come about? When did you start doing that? And mm. 
Yeah, I um, a little bit uh, to touch on that because it's important. It is in the book, mm-hmm. and I can explain why it's in the book mm-hmm. and actually go a step back and why it is that I do this other language, use this other language to talk about this. And it, it actually uh, started off when I was incarcerated in the UK um, for graffiti charges. Mm-hmm. And uh, in there, I was like trying to understand what uh, what do I want to, where do I want to take my creativity yeah. via graffiti to um, a level that can be used to, for people to understand it? Because, you know, graffiti is a very egotistical activity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that mainly speaks to people from the same world. Yeah. Um, or maybe one or two that don't have anything, any connection with it, but find it interesting because it's aesthetic. Yeah. And it's mainly aesthetic. Um the graffiti graffiti came from, as far as I understand it, I've been doing graffiti since 1995-1996, but the way the story has been fed to us is that it was um, mainly like a grouping of kids from minority backgrounds. Mm -hmm. There were white Americans yeah. but there was the majority were Latino Americans mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and black Americans mm-hmm. but it was a mixed culture yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. still is to this day mm-hmm. but it was the, the beauty of that was that it was if you hate migration mm-hmm. and you paint graffiti mm-hmm. you shouldn't be painting graffiti because migration is what gave birth to this yeah. movement yeah of course yeah yeah and so it was a, an activity that maybe of, of people that at some point felt just uh, left on the fringes of society and they wanted to have a voice and a name. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe subconsciously, you know, not consciously aware of like the political side of it. Yeah. But they wanted their name on the streets and they wanted mm-hmm. to be... And that's what graffiti is. It's my name on the streets. Yeah, exactly. Coca-Cola can have it. I can have it too. Yeah, without yeah. paying, <laughs> you know, mass amounts of money. So um, back to your question... Um, I uh, I wanted to know, like, I wanted to connect the words on the streets that mm-hmm. had a meaning, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the word, I don't know, empathy or, uh, I don't know, any word that I, I can't think of anyone yeah, right like now. Or, Love yeah. or affection. Mm-hmm. And then the average person on the street, like the, you know, bus driver yeah. or the, the builder would read it in like le- eligible, uh, legible, sorry, legible yeah. letters, yeah. big yeah. bold, and would read it and be like, "Oh, who the fuck wrote that?" Okay, yeah. and maybe it would stay in their head. Yeah, yeah. And the, with, that was the initial idea when I was in prison. I wanted to like move this to a, a, another platform, like another audience. Yeah. And uh, and then finally, I, over the years, connected all of that. To, to 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 talk about concepts that have a relationship with mainly migration, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, so that's like kind of like in a broad way why I'm connecting this, and in, in the work I do now, which I feel more comfortable to incorporate and talk about. Yeah. But why is it in the book? Because the book was published, and it's important to say this: it mm-hmm. was published by Beyond the Streets. Um, Roger Gastman, who is the founder of Beyond the Streets, contacted me. Uh, and kindly said, you know, I want to do a book. Or I want to do a book with you, and I, yeah. I let's do this book that you uh, produced uh, previously. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Mm. it. Took two and a half years to finally have it. Now it's here. Took a, it took a long time, but I yeah. think 
it took the time it needed. And sometimes yeah. you want to push things faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want the stuff you out. You want to see it already. Yeah, yeah, you want, and it's like, oh God, it's taking so long. But I think that um, things happen when they have to happen. Exactly. Yeah. And it's now, it was, it was out like last month. And, uh, and, but he, so going back a little bit, stepping back again, he, he said, yeah, I want to do this book, but I want to, we need to incorporate graffiti in it mm-hmm. because I'm, you know, beyond the streets yeah. is graffiti, um, institution. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of like, you know, um, communication on graffiti and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay. And, uh, for many, for about one year or a year and a bit, maybe more, we had deciphered the way to incorporate graffiti. So mm-hmm. it's going to be the book and another separate book, like a supplement mm-hmm. called The Words of the Beast. Yeah. And uh, eventually we ended up merging them both. Yeah. Uh, makes more sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier to understand the story. Yeah. Having to, I didn't want it mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning and it took me a while to actually feel comfortable with having two, two stories in one book. Yeah. They are separate in the book though. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's there. It's uh, it, it it makes sense. The 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 book is is a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with the final result of it. Um, and that's kind of like the story of yeah. how this this connection between a visual photography based mm-hmm. story and mm-hmm. the the words connect. Yeah, I think it, it fits perfectly together. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think once you find the way that you are comfortable with with uh, putting these two parts of it together, and once you realize how that how that fits in the book, then yeah, then you can be really happy with with the end result. Instead of doing two separate books, it doesn't make sense to put them together, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really cool. And and I think that you know finally to say is that um, I think that a large uh, percentage of the audience that views the work I do mm-hmm. is graffiti based yeah. and so you know it's uh, it's nice that you know uh, another another audience that perhaps not always sees and is aware of this topic mm-hmm. can relate to it via something that they relate to already yeah. which is the graffiti side of things and trains also and, and trains yeah. trains is another very important element mm-hmm. in fact it's interesting because you know, nothing was calculated. Yeah. Everything came naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's three elements that make this work, and they all are synchronized. Freight trains, migrants, and graffiti. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These three elements mm-hmm. are go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see this being the second... The first edition was published by a smaller publishing company based in Wales called um, Pavement Studio, and uh, he's actually my friend, and he facilitated um, all the uh, you know elements to be able to make this book. Mm-hmm. It was a successful book. It sold very quickly. Um, people were very interested in it. And now that this second edition is out, is out an expanded edition, many many more pages, um, and the, the incorporation of the graffiti in it is uh, is uh, I'm very very comfortable and happy with it. Yeah, you should be. It's really awesome. And it's also something I was thinking about as far as um, graffiti and trains and how people, you know, uh, writers will use the trains to to send their name into different parts where they don't usually go. So, But to show, like, them as an individual, their name is now traveling across and people see it, whether they like it or not, it's on the train. And then you have these um, these migrants who are traveling the train who have no individualism anymore. They have no... 
um, you know, in ways that, in some ways, I feel like being an individual, individualism is kind of a, a little bit of a privilege in a way when you think about these people having to, they're just becoming numbers now, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just these mass numbers of, of migrants. Yeah. It's such a juxtaposition, juxtaposition in a way mm-hmm. um, of these like graffiti writers like putting their name and just like shouting it out from uh, you know from line to line and these people who are traveling in the trains who are not able to to do that. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I'm just trying to like compare them in a way. Um, if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to cut this all out. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Uh, it's it all. It, I think what you what I picked from what you said is this. Um, humanizing, humanizing the numbers, no, yeah. in a way, yeah, yeah. like, um, and I always try to like be an advocate for, you know, understanding that these migrants have names: Carlos, Jimena, Pepe, Javier, yeah. in the Latin American context, mm-hmm. and um, they're not just uh, one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, so you know, it is important to recognize that. Mm-hmm. It, obviously, you know, as human beings. We want things synthesized, yeah. if that's a word. Yeah, mm. or, uh, norm, or uh, easily digestible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> categories. And it's normal, you know. Uh, yeah. I do think that we have to have things that have been, like, compressed and made it easy for us to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but it's... Uh, migrants is, like, a very sort of, like, superficial yeah. definition for, mm. in this case, for this story. Mm-hmm. Um and I actually wanted to say something about what you said before. When I got detained and mm. then I was released from prison, a week later, my friend said, yo, man, he lives in New Jersey. He said, yo, man, I just saw your fucking like train that you painted and it's like in my backyard. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy that you cannot come in, but your trains can still come in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it was he took a picture of it and sent it to me. So, you yeah. know, I might not be able to go back in, Yeah. but the stories on the yeah. trains can still come in. That's kind of like what I was, um, yeah, meaning in this way, how the, the freedom of this, uh, of this art form kind of allows that. And, um, but, it, you know, on the other side, these people don't have that same type of freedom, but they're traveling on the same train. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm alluding to. But, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. But yeah, it's a really super interesting. I'm really glad that I was able to meet you. It was so uh, spontaneous, but I think that's how life happens sometimes, where you just yeah. kind of. And it's also a topic that, um, as you know, speaking with uh, with you and, and my wife speaking with you is kind of a a topic that was always on our minds. You know, mm-hmm. my wife is also working with uh, with refugees coming into um, Austria and and also um, work, living and working in Nicaragua. So uh, it's really, and I think it's always prevalent but even now with with the current war you know mm-hmm. and the wars i should say yeah um yeah it's a it's just something i think everybody is gonna have to you know it's it's nothing that's going away anytime soon mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think it's important to put a face to it and put a you know to really mm-hmm. understand it from the inside which is mm-hmm. you know only people like you who have actually lived it on the inside can can explain yeah, I think that's why these books are super important, and mm-hmm. oh, this book is super important. So, I do actually. Your your wife touched on something. I think it was your wife yesterday that she said that this this, this book came out at a very um, you know precise time, and it alludes back to what you just said, which is with this new, this ongoing but new, terrible situation in Palestine mm-hmm. that uh, that is occurring that 
stems immediately from a horrible massacre yeah. that occurred also to people that were innocent. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we should not not consider that, but mm-hmm. the story is a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Um, is creating more more and more tensions and the the, the this problematic of of f- asylum seeking and refugees is just going to be expanding more and more mm-hmm. and um i think that we just need i was on my way to your studio i was thinking what is the problem with all of us in this world yeah why is it that this all this stuff is happening mm-hmm. i know the life and the world we live in is very complicated like yeah. it is a com- we we are complex human beings mm. you you tito i can't dis- like i don't know much about you yeah. and you don't know much about me but pablo is we can't define someone based on how they're dressed mm-hmm. and you know a superficial conversation mm-hmm. even we don't understand each other sometimes exactly. as yeah. ourselves yeah. so but um what I wanted to say with this is that, um, you know, it's, I've lost, I've lost the, the exact thread of what I wanted to say, yeah. but like, um, yeah, we're, th- th- there's more, more problems that are going to happen mm-hmm. with the, the more, cra- oh yeah, empathy. When I yeah. was walking down the street, I was like, why can't, empathy is so important. It is, it is 100% important. Uh, yeah. It's if we can't feel empathy at least, Mm-hmm. towards people that are in a much more disadvantaged way, yeah, yeah. then we are never going to find solution to all the issues that are happening. Yeah. And being, keeping an open mind is also mm-hmm. it's difficult. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't want to listen to the other perspective. But if you don't listen to that, mm-hmm. then you can't form a more clear opinion on what's happening. It's true. It's true. So, you know, it, it's difficult. It's difficult, yeah. And I think it's... Um, I think people are empathetic when it's kind of convenient for them also. In mm-hmm. a way. So mm-hmm. um, if you're driving down the street and you see somebody pulled over and they need help, you know, some, you're, you know, you might just drive by, somebody else is going to help them. doesn't matter. But if you're able to, if you're walking by and you just see, you see their face and they, you know, you're like, Oh, maybe I can help them. Mm-hmm. If, if it's convenient for you to be, to help and then, I think that's why books like this is important because when people see it and they read it, they're like, you know, maybe there's more that I could do. Maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be super world changing, but just in your own life, you yeah. know, just little things always help, you know, and it's just, I think that's a lot of main reason why things like don't change because the little changes, it seem like everybody thinks about the big change, but it all t- starts with just one person mm-hmm. writing a book, writing mm-hmm. a train or, um, you know, helping somebody out who needs a, Need some clothes or needs a place to stay for the night you know just one thing at a time so you know it, it, you, you, I, I completely agree with you and um, there's actually stepping back into the process of photography and uh, for people that believe that well, photography can't I was one of I've been one of those people mm-hmm. that are like photography does not going to change anything yeah and it goes to um, highlight what you said mm-hmm. that we don't need to do monumental changes. The changes can come from even speaking to our family. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I went to this talk about this, and it's important to understand this from this perspective. Talking to people, talking yeah. to friends, being kinder to people is mm-hmm. what's going to overall make the, the massive changes in life. Yeah. Photography, um, I recently interviewed someone, mm-hmm. a really talented photographer from mm-hmm. France that lives in Mexico, who's going to feature in this new um, um, newspaper Mm -hmm. and uh, I asked him so what do you think photography can do to change and he said 
I think, I'm not going to quote him uh, exactly as he said, but he said something like, I don't believe that photography is, you know, he didn't say that. He, what, what, what was interesting, he said, photography is an important way to register history and have it there for future generations to consult. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's important to have this as a document because mm-hmm. it, what it does is it helps to comprehend what happened at a point in history. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. if we want photography to change, it's difficult, but yeah. it's not... It, it's it's um, not immediate. It's, it's not immediate yeah. and it's not passive either. It can yeah. actually uh, help us understand what happened in the 1940s or the 50s yeah, or exactly. the 2000s or whatever. Exactly. So we can't rely on one thing for change. Mm-hmm. It, there's many different elements that then ultimately can help change the course of things for the better for the better and uh, benefit of m- m- everyone hopefully in the world it's true it's true so what are your uh, what are your plans now with the uh, the book is finished you're touring are you moving are you going to other places to show the book now after vienna or what's, uh what's yes next steps? i'm i'm going to right so far i've got a few other talks uh planned in um actually i'm going in 10 days i'm flying to iraq I'm going to present the book in Baghdad and uh, then I'll fly back to London. I'll do another talk in London mm-hmm. in this month. And then I'm doing three other talks in different cities in Italy where I've had an ex- extremely amazing reception by the people there in the past. That's great. That's great. They've been very kind. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm flying back to London. Um, I'm doing another talk in London and then in, in January and then maybe a few other things come up in February or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, keep keep being active and doing things yeah. um, is the way forward. Yeah, true. Any uh, plans on a new series besides the newspaper? Um, anything else you're working on? Yeah, actually, I am. I'm more and more thinking about this story that I started. I I flew. To, I went. I visited Iraq last year, mm-hmm. and um, for the first time, I wanted to go there for a very long time for yeah. for other photo- photographic reasons. Yeah. Um. Uh. To continue with a project that I did, I won't go into it because it's a bit long. But um. So I get there and I'm like, you know, there's a fucking Iraq, like this, millions of of stories mm-hmm. and the history of that country is massive. You know, the birth of civilization in Babylon, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't go there and in 12 days expect to like, at least me to to do a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but I, so what's interesting, I started noticing, um, what I would describe as tags on the streets. There's no Mm -hmm. graffiti. There's Mm -hmm. very, very, very few pieces on the streets. Mm -hmm. And most of them have not got the uh, graffiti aesthetic. Okay. But they sometimes incorporate spray paint and stuff. It's like very, it's like, uh, like a very early, um, like uh, we would say in Spanish, están en pañales. Mm -hmm. They're in nappies. Okay. When it comes to graffiti, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there's hardly any references that they've had. Because of so many wars that have have happened, there's not been possibility of progress Mm -hmm. and development of creativity. But there's a lot of talent, like in in the sense of like murals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just graffiti itself is not something that's been exploited as much. Mm -hmm. But I start seeing these tags and like I I ask my friend, Yo, what does, what, does, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yeah, that, that means um, carpenter. And then I was like, well, is this carpenter? He said, no, this is plumber. And so okay. I started connecting these things, and, uh, and it turns out that these are like 
adverts that people and they use their, they they leave their number, oh. but the, the the tagging is obviously in Arabic and it's beautiful and it's with yeah. spray paint. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh shit, that makes kind of sense to me because it's mm-hmm. like they are tagging, yeah. but they're tagging for useful purposes yeah, yeah. To, 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 to convey their message of, or their, their advert of their profession. Yeah, yeah. And actually a lot of people, I, I met a few people and they said, yeah, yeah, sometimes my car broke down on the street and I would phone up the number sprayed on the wall and then mm. they would come and, and you know, um, uh, help me yeah. move my car or you know <laughs> like toll another yeah. one was toll and um, uh, you know like a, a tow truck yeah toll truck that's yeah. right and um so i said to myself i'm going to photograph i'm going to use the excuse of these tags mm-hmm. to photograph the landscape or the architecture of these spaces but incorporating these tags maybe like where's wally you know kind uh, of yeah. thing like yeah. there is a tag there but I'm not really interested in the tag itself, really. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in photographing the environment and the atmosphere or the architecture. And there's like tags on like the wall of the Saddam Hussein Palace, for instance. Oh, really? Or like the walls of like the green zone. So these guys are tagging like hot areas. Yeah, yeah. And it's very surreal. And I feel like I have a bit more authority to talk about, to do mm-hmm. a little story. Mm-hmm on that rather mm-hmm. than photographing an, a historic a historical event or a political thing that's going on there yeah. because I haven't got m- enough references I haven't I don't spend enough time mm-hmm. don't do enough research but I think that this could be a valid way of like talking about a story of Iraq yeah. that nece- not necessarily is about graffiti but it's kind of like graffiti yeah. Yeah. in it and uh, so that's kind of like what I want to co- go back to keep doing yeah, and then maybe it. produce a little publication on that cool so yeah that's that's, that's one nice thing one. yeah that's awesome that's yeah really cool and pablo it's been amazing talking to you there's one more thing i want to ask you just about um about i guess the people that you've met along the way is there any has there been any still communication with some people that you have or some people who made it to the u.s for example who are now living there and have uh you know, started a life there and they're legally now. Is there, do you have any stories of this, of uh, like, I guess some, some positive outcomes from these travels? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually have three friends. I keep in touch with some more than others, but I regularly keep in touch. Uh, Freddie from Honduras, he migrated, uh, he's been there for like four years now, since 2000 uh, 19 or 18 actually mm-hmm. 19 um he tried like twice or three times and he made it into the states he now lives in san francisco um then i've got david from guatemala mm-hmm. keep in touch with him still um and he's in texas actually mm-hmm. and uh maybe he's in san antonio i think and um then jimmy who migrated um two years ago now I think okay. and he's living in California you know it's not it, it's not like they've made it and they're happy yeah it's yeah. more like they're in there and they they're working it out yeah there's I think there's a lot of sadness as well like because they realize that it's not what they thought it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um yeah it's uh success story is probably not the the definition in yeah. regards to these three friends of mine who yeah. are all li- living illegally okay. and it 
obviously creates a lot of constraints and, yeah. and difficulties. So much for leaving this uh, this interview on a high note. <laughs> so, no, no, I understand because also moving here, you know, uh, from the U.S. and uh, you know, it's it's hard leaving your home. It's mm-hmm. hard leaving your home, and obviously, it's a totally different situation on, on my side. But because I can always go back, and but um, just displacing yourself and uh, and and hopes to start a new life and to mm. to um, to follow. Uh, you know something, uh, it, which is different from escaping something. From mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, just yeah, just the fact that you have to leave where you're comfortable, and because either because you feel like you have to or because you're forced out of it, um, it's it's not easy. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I can, it, it, I can imagine that it's really difficult to to migrate to the U.S. and then try to make it work, especially with the racism with the people looking down at you and you're not Absolutely. you're never going to be that i mean i my father left cuba you know my, my on my father's side you know to the us and then they were in new york for a while and then they went to puerto rico you know they were able to live where my father met my mother and then they ended up moving to texas where i was eventually born <laughs> so um i don't know it's 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 I think everybody has a, a lineage of migration in their life somehow. Almost, totally. Almost everyone. Totally. You know? So I think that's why totally. this, everyone can relate to this in some aspect or should be able to relate to this in some aspect because it is part of the human experience leaving and migration for a new life, for, for a happier life, for mm. you, for your family. Mm. Uh, it's really amazing. I, I, would, I would add to that that it's, uh, we must not... Um, forget that and I completely agree with you it's been it's a natural thing everyone has a connection or lineage to uh, a story of migration Mm -hmm. maybe maybe some people many people haven't left their places of origin Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and they're lucky not to Mm -hmm. or they're unlucky to not be able to experience other other experiences in other places whatever reason but um, let's not forget that you know migrants the migration of people today is not something new. Yeah, people yeah. from Switzerland, from Ireland, from the UK, from France, from Spain, from Italy, mm-hmm. also, uh, and I'm I'm stating these cases of white migration. Let's say if we yeah. want to name an ethnicity, yeah, yeah, who migrated to places like the American continent, mm-hmm. to Mexico, to Argentina, mm-hmm. to the United States, to what's the so-called promised land. Mm-hmm. So why is why is their experience valid and, and the experiences of people coming from uh, war torn or exploited regions of the world not valid? Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think that people have to people that are against migration should perhaps just uh, you know dig a little bit into their past yeah. to see that oh so you're you, it's fine that this happened back then mm-hmm. but it's not fine that it's happening now yeah. it's not fine it's not good no. I, I mean it's not nice to migrate um, by force yeah it exactly. should be because you want to do it yeah. mm-hmm. but just just what I want to say is just dig into history a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe that creates more empathy yeah you know? hopefully yeah you would think so you would mm-hmm. think so and another, and just also to say very quickly is uh, someone at a talk in Berlin asked me, so do you see any hope with all the stuff you're, you're doing? And it took me a while to think of one way of think, thinking of hope. And I realized hope in, in, in the right the context of today is in unity. And I've seen that unity 
manifested through the hundreds of thousands of people that have gone out on the streets and uh, um, demanded for a ceasefire. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's taken us this long in many years, many wars. Well, actually, mm -hmm. with Iraq, it was a case that mm -hmm. there was huge manifestations around the world yeah. for peace. But it's taken again for this terrible, horrible things that mm -hmm. we're seeing mm -hmm. in right before our very eyes, yeah. like on our on now phones. new devices that yeah, we have. Yeah. And people are moving, and Jewish people, Muslim people, Christian people, whatever religion, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. We're all seeing that what we want is not to um, uh, not to please the demands and desires of the very very wealthy people that mm -hmm. are just hungry for war and violence and devastation, yeah. but we want peace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's like unity. It really moves me when I see people mo moving, marching on the streets. Mm -hmm. And no matter what religion they are, yeah. and uh, uh, fighting for that unity is what can only bring change, positive change for everyone. Yeah, it's one thing we we definitely need more of in in the world for yeah. sure. Uh, Pablo, it's been great. It's been a great talk. Cool. Is there anything else you want to say before we log off? And no, yeah, I think good. I've said I've said we could just go on for hours. Exactly, but. it's so interesting. Really. <laughs> so many questions that that to be, but. Um, I'll leave, uh, I'll leave it there so people can really uh, get a lot of the information, more more information from your book and from your website. Uh, do you want to plug your website really quickly and, and where people um, can buy the books? The website I have is uh, is a pabloallison.co.uk. Mm -hmm. um, you can, like, people can buy the book. Actually, this is a good point to make. Mm -hmm. If people want to buy the book in the United States and avoid the extortion of postage prices, yeah. they should go to Beyond the Streets, the Beyond the Streets website, okay. and they can purchase it mm -hmm. there, and then the shipping fees will be a, a lot cheaper. Okay. Um, if they want to buy it in Europe, they can buy it via the Collab Gallery, because okay. they distribute the book as well. Mm -hmm. um, I have a few copies left of my own mm -hmm. um, that I'm trying to, like, sell during my talks yeah but those are the two options the more you know cheapest options europe mm -hmm. or united states depending on where you are you can buy the book okay great 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 and uh, we'll put all the the links and stuff there thank you it's so good thanks it, for it having really me a pleasure you know thanks for making the time i know you're here for a short time and i'm really glad that uh, we were able to cross paths um quickly and make this happen so mm -hmm. i think it's really important for people to hear this and yeah uh, it's a uh, it's out there now so we're going to put this out there and so hopefully people can We'll get to the book and, and look at the amazing photos and read the stories and um, and share that information with everybody else. You know, one step at a time, one person at a time. That's what you gotta do. Absolutely, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.